0: Did you know hormonal birth control or the pill is not pro-life at all? We did not know that. Today we're going to go over all of the evidence that supports that. We're going to go over the statistics of how often the pill can actually end a life. And it's, we're just going to go over all of it so you have no doubts at all and you can see the truth of what birth control actually is.
1: Hi everybody, I'm Joseph Walter, this is my wife Monica, uh, and we're on Loving Theology today talking about this question. Uh, Now normally we talk about concepts uh, in biblical theology and just sort of understand scriptures and things like that and try to apply them. And our focus today is actually on the application of some of the truths that we learn. So we won't spend as much time going through the scriptures because we've done that in other posts that I'll reference, but instead our focus is going to be on applying the truth that life begins at conception. Um, And so, you know, the question that we're asking today is, is the pill pro-life? and this is in the context of a guide that we're putting out that we're calling a pro-life guide to family planning um, we've got everything written out on our website and we released that last week so that you can read through everything but we also wanted to do uh, some companion videos for that for those of you who'd rather sort of see a discussion on the topics rather than read through something um, so last time we did the intro where i talked about my story we talked about our story and just kind of why we're doing this mm-hmm. um, and so if you want to kind of get to know our heart i recommend that you watch that video first Um, but this video is really going to be focused instead on the pill specifically because i think that's one that most of us would have questions about but if you want to know about the other uh, family planning options and whether or not they're pro-life all of that is written on our website we'll put links for that below so that you can get a handle on that Um, and one thing just to kind of start with is in asking the question of whether or not the pills pro life is to start with the fda material which we will get into the specifics but it does explicitly state that one of the mechanisms of action is to prevent implantation of a conceived embryo of a baby embryo and so as we think about that, what that means is that it is taking the life of a conceived child in order to achieve its effectiveness. And again, we'll get into the specifics, but what I want you to understand in by way of context first is that that mechanism of action is the same for all of the different methods for hormonal birth control. So while we're talking about the pill primarily, because that's the one that most of us use, yeah. everything that we're talking about here, all of the mechanisms of action, all of the evidence is the same as it is for um, both the combination pill, which is like Yaz, for example. Uh, it's also the same as the progesterone-only pill. Um, and it's also the same as the morning-after pill. I think a lot of a lot of us maybe take issue with the morning-after pill or plan B, not realizing that it's actually the exact same thing as the monthly pill, the one that you take on a regular basis, yes. just simply a larger dose of it.
0: Yeah, Many doctors will actually explain that there is a significant difference, but they use the same exact method to... It's just using the third method for the plan B and it's the same exact thing at a lower dose and um, that's how it reaches birth control, reaches its effectiveness. Yeah.
1: And, and the other thing too is maybe, you know, you've, you've heard about a pill or a patch or an implant or something like that. I want you to understand all of those are other forms of hormonal contraception and mm-hmm. they actually function on the same mechanisms of action. Um, so it's the exact same thing. IUDs um, also generally are hormonal um, based where they actually release hormones inside as well. There are also copper IUDs, those are a lot less common these days um, that operate a little bit different than that, but we're not going to cover those in this video. Our focus is on hormonal contraception Mm -hmm. um, and just from a simplistic point of view that covers IUDs as well because most IUDs um, will also utilize hormonal contraception.
0: Because many people have taken the pill in the past, Uh, This must come as a surprise, but I just want to let you know that I am right there with you. I took birth control for years, since I was 16. And I've shared my testimony elsewhere, and so I'm right there with you in just being shocked and surprised. And this might you might have other questions like, well, do you actually have evidence for this? Because all doctors are, well not all doctors, most doctors are going to tell you something different. And the evidence, it clearly shows what we're trying to say is that this is not a pro-life choice. And you might think, well, how often does this actually happen? It happens very frequent. We're going to give you the statistics of that and show you all of the boring math that goes along with it. But um, we're going to first lay a foundation. I'll let Joseph take care of that.
1: So before I lay down sort of a a quick foundation um, that I want to make sure that all of us kind of have as a common ground here, I want to let you know that we're going to be going through a lot of information today. This this video probably is going to do a poor job of communicating our hearts on the issue because there's just so much information and so much uh, data, statistics that I want to communicate to you that we're going to be focused on that throughout the video. Um, also, because of how much information there is to communicate on this, and I didn't want to break it up into a part one and a part two video, we usually try to keep our videos short, but that's probably just not going to be possible today. So what we're going to do is we're going to put a uh, some time codes at the bottom. We'll put some stamps uh, down in the description of the video so that you can kind of Skip to whatever part maybe is interesting to you, Um, but I want to, you know, to the extent that you've got the time and you're able to listen to it all, I think that would be helpful because these points are going to build on each other, but we'll do our best to kind of guide you through it so that you can skip to the part that's most interesting to you. But uh, basically, like I said, I want to start by laying a foundation, and that is um, the foundation of when does life begin. Uh, And I kind of referenced this earlier, but, you know, basically life begins at conception. and, And the reason that we know that is that we can look at both the scientific evidence for it, and as Christians, we can also look at the biblical evidence for it, and there is both. And we've done this elsewhere on our website, so I don't really want to have to kind of go through all the points here. But whenever you look at the scientific evidence, it's overwhelming that the life of an individual human person begins at the moment of conception. Mm -hmm. And also, whenever you look at the Bible and you read the stories in the Bible, it's very clear that conception is emphasized over and over as the beginning of the human existence. Even Jesus was conceived, and that was emphasized almost to the point of being awkward at times, um, where it really emphasized, the scripture really emphasized that Jesus was conceived. And so um, what I wanna start with is by explaining that this video is not about discussing that. I understand, if you've got questions on that point, that is totally fair, those are good questions to have. And I wanna help you answer those questions. But I wanna do that in another video that we've already put out. So we've got a resource on our website that talks about conception significance. We give an overview for the biblical and scientific evidence there. Um, And I'm gonna basically just reference you to that. We'll put links for that below. And instead, what I wanna do is just sort of check that foundation here. If you have those questions, please go take a look at those first. But if you feel confident in that, if you feel settled that life does begin at conception, then continue. Because the purpose of the rest of this video is to apply that truth. To take the truth that we saw in the scriptures, the truth that we've seen in the evidence of creation and the scientific observations that we can make, and then apply it to the decisions that we will make in family planning. So that's what our focus is gonna be on today. Um, so I'll, like I said, I'll link all of those videos below so that you can kind of go and check those if you maybe need to start there.
0: So as Joseph said, we have a lot of resources on our website that support conception significance. You might think, I'm already pro-life, I I don't need to go to that, I'm just going to continue on this video. That's great, please watch this video as well. But I would just uh, recommend to you that it's always good as if you're a Christian to go and reference and make sure that you have answers for whenever someone is to come to you with questions. We have a lot of information that you've probably never heard of on our website. So I would definitely recommend you to go do that. And on this one, we also said, this particular video, we said that we had timestamps. I would recommend you just watch the whole thing because I don't, People aren't talking about this, and this is not something people are teaching on, your doctor has not taught you this stuff. We have looked, the reason we're putting out this information is because we searched and looked and looked for this information and no one came up with it. This is stuff that we have taken years to put together, and mainly Joseph. But Just go through this entire video at least one time and then maybe go back. If you want to reference it later, use the timestamps, but it's just really a lot of information that you think you might know and you really don't know and you're gonna be surprised many times throughout the video.
1: Yeah, so um, where I want to start is with something that maybe you think that you know, and that's the question of how does hormonal birth control work, Um, so I want to start with that, and and what I want to do is I want to get back to the most authoritative source. So there's this thing called the physician desk reference, and it is the most authoritative source for doctors to use in clinical settings to, to understand how does this drug work. So whenever they're prescribing a medication, how does it actually work? And the, the technical term for that is what are the mechanisms of action? What are the what are the ways that this, that this medication affects a person and basically changes their immune system or changes however it changes them to achieve its desired result. Mm-hmm. So with the pill, really there's there's two or hormonal birth control in general, whether it's IUDs, the pill, Uh, Patch, whichever one we're talking about, it really boils down to two different sets of medication. There's there's some that are combinations that are both progesterone and estrogen, and there's others that are progesterone only. So maybe you've heard of progesterone only pills or the mini pill is sometimes what it's called, uh, or maybe you've heard of combination pills, or maybe you just know by its brand name, Yaz. Um, And so really those are the two um, medications that are underlying all hormonal uh, birth control, whether it's IUDs or otherwise, okay? And so as we, we go into that then, what we can do is we can take a look at just one example of a combination pill and take a look at what, do, what does the physician desk reference say about the mechanisms of action? How does um, the, the combination pill, like he has, how does it achieve its effectiveness? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it straight from the physician desk reference so that we have a little bit of credibility there. But some of the terms in there are going to be um, terms that we don't use in normal conversation, especially as uh, non-medical personnel. Uh, maybe for medical it would be easier for you to understand. But then afterwards, I'm going to go back and try to explain it a little bit more uh, in more layman's terms so that we can understand it easier. So both estrogen and progestin ultimately inhibit maturation and release of the dominant ovule. In addition, viscosity of the cervical mucus increases with hormonal contraceptive use, which increases the difficulty of sperm entry into the uterus. Alterations in the endometrium tissue also occur, which reduces the likelihood of implantation of the fertilized ovum. Like I said, I realized that some of the words that are used, the terminology used, isn't something that we would use in normal communication. So I understand that some of those words might be confusing. So I'm going I'm to break it down. I just wanted to give you sort of the authoritative word for word uh, what's in the physician desk reference, which is FDA approved language to explain the way that the pill works. Um, and I want you to also understand that whether we're talking about progesterone and estrogen, which that case basically gave us the example for that, or progesterone only um, hormonal birth control, They operate on those same three mechanisms of action. I'll put a link for all of this um, uh, on our website. I'll I'll put a link to the page on our website below, but the website itself will actually have all of the detailed resources and things like that. If you want to double check me, feel free. Um, All of it's there so that you can sort of see for yourself what I'm talking about. But even the the PDR, the Physician Desk Reference, um, for NORQD, which is one of the more common mini-pills or progesterone-only pills, identifies those same three mechanisms of action. let me maybe recap what those mechanisms are in more uh, plain English to make them make sense. So the first way that the pill works, um, the first way that hormonal contraception works is that it works to reduce the chances of ovulation. Um, and basically, if you don't ovulate, then you're not able to conceive. Um, so that's, that's the first way that it works. The second is that it thickens cervical mucus, which basically makes it harder for sperm to reach the egg. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that also operates to prevent conception, mm-hmm. um, which you know, there's no issues with either of those. But the third way that it works, whenever it talks about um, changing the endometrium lining to basically prevent the um, implantation of a fertilized ovum, that was sort of the the phrasing that was used. What that's describing is that it changes the way that the womb is, changes the lining of the uterus, so that it cannot receive, um, or so that implantation of a conceived child can occur. So it operates after conception, in other words. That third mechanism of action um, prevents a baby embryo after conception from being able to be implanted so just to kind of make it really clear those first two mechanisms of action operate to prevent conception they operate before conception there's no issue there the issue comes with that third mechanism of action Mm -hmm. that it operates to prevent the implantation of a conceived child and in so doing it operates after conception to take a life and whenever it's saying that it operates on these three mechanisms of action what that's saying is that in order to achieve its effectiveness it relies on all three of these in other words, part of its effectiveness comes from preventing implantation of a conceived shop. comes from taking the life of a conceived child.
0: Yeah. And it's surprising how frequent that happens. You think like, oh, well, it's just in case. No, it, it happens frequently. Right. And
1: I, I, think, I think there's really two natural questions that come from this. The first question that comes is, okay, well, is that real? What do the studies actually show? Does this actually happen? Does it actually change um, the lining of the uterus? And then the second question is exactly what Monica mm-hmm. was talking about okay, well maybe it's real, but how often does that actually happen? Is this really rare? Because I think that a lot of um, people would sort of dismiss it on one of those two questions. Yeah. Now, but before we get to answering those two questions, I wanna sort of address the confusion here because there's a lot of confusion on this question and, and you get different answers. And all of us have probably been to the doctor at some point and asked maybe this question, and gotten a different answer than I'm giving you here. But, you know, we've seen like the authority on the subject, the FDA approved materials in the physician desk reference, basically what the doctor in theory would read and then pair it back to you to explain to you to answer the question tells you that the pill was designed not to, this is just a side effect, but designed to achieve its effectiveness by reducing the chances of implantation, by preventing a conceived child from implanting. So why is there confusion? And the confusion really a lot of times comes back to semantics and definitions. Um, For example, if you ask your doctor, you know, is the pill pro life? Uh, Does it take life? They might answer the question about miscarriage, which is talking about the risk after implantation. Mm -hmm. And studies haven't consistently shown that there's an increased risk of miscarriage for women who are on the pill. But what we're talking about is not that implantation happens and then fails. We're talking about the fact that the pill is designed to prevent implantation. So Mm -hmm. we're actually talking about before that. So rather than focusing so much on Um, the mom the woman and what's happened to her and whether or not there's a clinically recognized pregnancy there in other words whether or not implantation has occurred we're focused on life that's really the centerpiece and life it begins at conception Mm -hmm. so we're starting our storyline at the moment of conception and working forward from there and so while the pill hasn't consistently been shown to increase the risk of miscarriage we have seen that it is actually designed it is consistently shown Mm -hmm. to increase the risk of a failed implantation that an implantation doesn't occur And, and the reason that that matters is that effectively what's happening there is that that baby embryo is being starved of the nutrients uh, that they need to live. Basically they're, they're not being fed. And that leads to their death. And so the reason that it takes a life is because it prevents implantation. So that's really the focus of what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. But, but like I said, a lot of doctors you know, still might dismiss this, uh, even with, whenever they're presented with this, even whenever they read those three mechanisms of actions, or even if you ask them directly. And the, really the two reasons that they would dismiss it, the two reasons that most people would dismiss it is either, yes, that's a theoretical thing, but it doesn't actually happen. That's, that's theoretically how it's supposed to work, but that's not actually what's happening. So we're gonna talk about that. Is this actually affecting the lining of the uterus? Is this actually having effect? Is that third mechanism of action present? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing is, okay, fine, yes, it happens. It's real, but it's super rare. That's mm-hmm. the other objection that happens. So we're gonna talk about that. Is it really rare? and we're gonna talk about the statistics that actually demonstrate how frequent this occurs. Okay, so let's start with that first question of is this real or is it just theoretical? Um, And in in exploring that, you know, there's a lot of evidence that's out there. Um, Really I think the question that we're asking is how does the pill affect um, the lining of the uterus for women who are on it? Um, And really there's a lot of ways that it does. There's there's evidence that it affects the integrins or basically uh, integrins promote adhesion. So basically how sticky um, the womb is, in other words, making it easier for the baby to implant. But the the obvious and the easiest one to understand is the thickness of the lining of the uterus. Um, Basically, the question that we're asking then is, does the pill affect the the thickness of the lining of the uterus, and does that matter? Um, And in in asking whether or not it matters, there was a Journal of Medicine, uh, Family Medicine article, and again, I'll put all the links on our website, that walked through 10 different studies, that identified 10 different studies that conclusively found that the thickness of the endometrium determines whether or not a pregnancy will be able to implant. Whether or not a baby will be able to implant is directly connected to whether or not that lining of the uterus is thick. And then five of those 10 studies actually went further and they measured the specific minimum that was required, how much endometrium was needed in order for a baby to be able to implant. And those measurements ranged from a five millimeter minimum to a 13 millimeter minimum. And what they were basically saying is that, uh, you know, if you kind of take that lower number, if there was less than five millimeters of thickness, then a baby wasn't able to implant or the risk that they wouldn't implant went up sub- substantially that's the more accurate way of saying it mm-hmm. um, and then you know so so we know that there's a connection there we know that the thickness matters mm-hmm. then the question becomes okay well women who are on the pill does it what's their endometrium like how thick is it and there are actually two different studies um, that were done really there's there's one study that was done that found that the thickness uh, of women on the pill was on average 1.1 millimeters and then another uh, study that was done was actually a, a, a compilation so it looked at several different studies of over a thousand women and all of those studies conclusively found that it was less than that five millimeter minimum so consistently what we're seeing is that the pill does thin the lining of the uterus so much so that it's below that minimum that's necessary so it starts to inc- increase um substan- introduce its substantial risk that the baby wouldn't be able to implant yeah
0: so what we're seeing is that the uterine lining is less than what was gonna allow for a viable, healthy pregnancy. It's under that five milli- millimeter mark. And so with that said, and you gave a range, it was between five and 13, because different studies say a viable you know, pregnancy could be at 13 millimeters. So we're just being conservative here and going using the five millimeter. And even then, the pill is definitely making it way too thin for a viable pregnancy to continue
1: yeah so I, I a simple way of saying it you know we were asking the question is this real is there actually evidence that the pill is doing this and the answer is quite simply yes that the pill does consistently affect the lining of the uterus in such a way to not be able to support implantation that's actual studies thousands of women demonstrate that that is actually the case this isn't just theoretical this is real
0: so just to recap real quick we've seen and we talked about how the fda says that it prevents implantation by thinning the lining of the uterus. That's clear. So we talked about, well, is that theoretical? That's, you know, that's the design of the pill, but does it actually do that? Well, we just talked about, yeah, it's doing that. It thins the lining of the uterus. So after conception, those eight days, or, you know, that's an average, before it gets to implantation, you know, that there's thinning of the lining of the uterus. So this Conceived child is then being starved of the nutrients to be able to grow further and so We realize that the pill is now ending the life of a conceived child So you might dismiss this and ask yourself. Well, how often does this actually happen? Is this just such a rare occurrence that it doesn't really matter? You're actually going to be quite surprised at how frequent it happens.
1: So we know that it's real, but the question is still there of is it rare? How often does this happen? How often does the pill prevent the implantation of a conceived child? And you'd think maybe that's an easy question to answer. You look at all the women who've conceived and you look at how often did they implant and compare the numbers between women who were on the pill versus not on the pill. And that sounds nice, um, but sadly it's a little bit more complicated than that. The reason is because um, most women don't know whenever they've conceived, right? There's no real way for a woman to know that she's conceived. Um, So because of that, we're going to have to take a look at this from the other end of the spectrum. From the end of the spectrum of implantations. So maybe if I can sort of set this up for you, I'm gonna start by giving a statistic and that statistic is probably gonna seem a little irrelevant. It's not really gonna make sense to you. But I'll I'll tie it all in for you at the end and Monica will probably try to help me a little bit with making this um, in a way that's easy for people to understand. But if you think about it from a very universal perspective, um, once conception has occurred, there's really only three possible outcomes. One is that they implant um, outside of the womb. So they implant maybe in the fallopian tubes. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a risk called ectopic pregnancy where um, conception occurs, but implantation doesn't occur inside the womb, it occurs like in the fallopian tubes or outside the the womb. It's called an extra uterine pregnancy. So that's one possibility. The other is that the baby implants inside the womb. Um, So that's another possibility. And that's just a normal, healthy pregnancy. That's what we're all looking for whenever we're trying to get pregnant. And the third possibility is that they don't implant at all. And that's really the risk that we're trying to learn about. We're trying to understand how often does conception occur but implantation doesn't occur. Mm -hmm. But because you don't notice conception, and because you don't notice implantation if it doesn't occur, then that is actually not something we can directly observe. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we're gonna do instead then is focus in on the other two. In other words, it's sort of like A plus B plus C equals all of the conceptions. If we focus in on A and B, then we can figure out what C is. We can figure out how often is that happening. Um, And so what we're gonna look at then is how often, whenever implantation does occur, Um, How often does it happen inside the womb versus outside the womb? And that's for women who are on the pill versus not on the pill. Um, And there were five different studies that I found that that looked into this, and I've got the references for all these studies on our website. And what they basically found is that the the chances of a pregnancy outside the womb, the chances of implanting in the fallopian tubes, was between 1.7 and 4.5 times as likely for women who were on the pill and whenever they do that analysis they also have a statistical method called confidence intervals where they basically estimate a range for that number and all five of those studies have 95 percent confidence intervals and they included all of their confidence intervals included the range of 2.1 to 2.5 so that's a pretty good estimate and so i've I've given you a lot of numbers let me maybe just simplify what i just said if you're on the pill you're twice as likely to have a pregnancy implant to have an implantation in the fallopian tubes and so what that means is that for every conception that occurs, you're twice as likely to end up at option A than option B, than if you hadn't been at the pill. That's really what the emphasis is there, is that you're twice as likely to have that pregnancy. All right, so I've given you a statistic and I realize like it, it's probably hard to connect. Like, Why does that statistic matter? or What is that statistic telling us? But just bear with me here for a minute. Okay, so like I said, let me go back to the three possible options. Conception occurs in either A, it implants inside the floating tube, B, it implants inside the womb, or C, it doesn't implant at all, just to simplify. Um, and so we see this statistic, and what it's telling us is that between A and B, um, there's a lot more women on the pill who are experiencing A relative to B. And there's, there's two ways to say that. Either the pill is increasing the risk of ectopic pregnancy, or it's reducing the chance of implanting inside the womb. And basically then, the next question comes, okay, well, which one is it? Is the pill causing ectopic pregnancy? Is it causing implantation in the fallopian tubes? Or is it causing a lack of implantation inside the womb? And what we've seen is the evidence points to the fact that it is reducing the chance of implantation inside the womb. The pill is not linked to any of the causal factors for ectopic pregnancy, like inflammation in the reproductive system. The pill isn't linked to that. So in other words, the pill isn't introducing a risk of ectopic pregnancy to you what it's doing is it's reducing the chance that you are able to implant inside the womb. That was everything that we talked about with that third mechanism of action, the thinning of the lining of the uterus, that only applies inside the womb. So all of those effects that we were talking about are the ways that the pill affects the womb. So what it does then, is it, that what we're seeing here is that it's reducing the chance of outcome B. It's reducing the chance that there's implantation inside the womb. So when we look at that statistic, the other way to see that, too, is as the inverse of it, 1 over 2, a half, okay? Um, so when, let me maybe just state it straightforward. Is that this statistic demonstrates that the pill cuts the chances that an embryo implants inside the womb by half. That's what it says. It doesn't say that it's doubling the risk of implantation outside the womb, because there's no causal link there. What it's saying is that the chances of it implanting inside the womb are half of what they would be compared to a woman who's not on the pill. So I think one of the other things that's really important about the statistic is what it says um, about the mechanisms of action. So if we just had those first two mechanisms, if the pill only prevented conception and didn't affect implantation, then this statistic wouldn't exist. Because this statistic is focusing on just implantation, and what it says is that implantation for women on the pill is different than for women not on the pill. So what that means is that the pill is affecting implantation. That, that is proven irrefutably by this statistic, and this statistic is very consistent. And and what this gives us, though, that the other evidence that we talked about before didn't give us is a number. It tells us that it impacts the chances of implantation by reducing them by half inside the womb. So in other words, a healthy implantation, the chances of a healthy implantation on the pill are half as likely as for women who aren't on the pill.
0: So if I could just interrupt real quick and try to explain (laughs) in simpler terms, Joseph was a math minor, so he talks like that sometimes. and. I'm just gonna explain it very simply. So if we're just looking at these two groups and we're looking at um, how that third way that the pill works, which it affects the implantation, we see that the first two, with the numbers that we're using, the first two ways that the pill works really aren't relevant right now. So we're looking at women who are not on the pill, women who are on the pill, right? With implantation, it could either happen outside of the womb or it could happen inside of the womb comparing both of these groups, we see that there is a huge change in the number in the women who are on the pill. So there's two questions we can ask here. With this number that we have, is this number showing us that there is an increase in the number of ectopic or implantations inside of the fallopian tube? Or does it mean that there is a decrease in implantations within the womb? So with what we have gone over, with the pill and what it does, because we went over and over again, we know that the pill is designed, all the hormones that are put in, are meant to prevent the or to thin the lining of the uterus so that it prevents implantation. And we also see that there is an evidence, which is um, for ectopic pregnancies, which is shown by swelling of the reproductive system, that it is clear that there is um, the number is affecting a decrease in the number of implantations within the womb. And what is the difference in that number? It's half. If I can summarize that, when women are on the pill, they can get pregnant. When they do get pregnant, some can have a viable pregnancy, half do not because the pill ends that life.
1: Okay, let me try to bring this analysis home because you know, I don't think that we've answered the question that's probably on most people's mind, which is, if I'm on the pill, what are the chances that I lose a child to the, the, that third mechanism of action? What are the chances that I lose a child to the way that the pill works? And we've seen that if you conceive, then it reduces your chances of implantation by half, but how often do you conceive is the other way of asking the question. Um, one way to get at this is to look at the big picture. We know that the pill is 91% effective, and what that means is that out of 100 couples, nine will get pregnant over the course of a year. But because that nine that, who got pregnant, they had healthy implantations, we know that that number is half of what it would have been if it weren't for that third mechanism of action. In other words, there were 18 who had conception, nine of which had a healthy implantation. The other nine though lost their child to the effects of the pill. So what that means in sort of a, a simple way of saying it is that there's a 9% chance every year that, that if you're on the pill over the course of the year, there's a 9% chance that you lose a child to the effects of the pill. And that's, that number is too significant to ignore. That is a meaningful number. Now, the other way to think about this is how much of the effectiveness of the pill comes from this third mechanism of action? That's the other question that's maybe on our mind, so I'd like to answer that briefly too. So if you think about it from a big picture standpoint, um, if you took 100 couples, okay, and you didn't give them any birth control, over the course of a year, probably about 92 of them would have uh, would have a child at the end of that year. Now if you took that same hundred couples and you put them on the pill, only nine would have them. So there's a difference of 83. 83 couples where the the pill prevented pregnancy, okay? And of those 83, there are 74 of them that it did so with those first two mechanisms of action. So the bulk of its effect is coming from those first two mechanisms of action. About 90, um, I think it's 89% of its effectiveness comes from preventing implantation, but still 11% of its effectiveness, so not some small number. It's not some 1%, it's not some fraction of a percent, it's 11% of the effectiveness of the pill comes from preventing implantation. Now, here's the statistic that I think is really sobering, the one that brings to bear how serious this is. There are about 11 million women on the pill in the US alone. And we're just talking about the pill and we're just talking about the US. Keep in mind that these same mechanisms of action are in effect for all of the other forms of hormonal birth control, And obviously, the US isn't the only one who's on these. But just the US, 11 million women, out of those 11 million women, nine out of every 100 of them would have lost a child to the effects of the pill over the course of a year. Once you do that math and you multiply it out, that means that about a million children are lost to the effects of the pill every year in the US alone. So this is a significant number. This matters.
0: So that number is very heavy. maybe it's not for you, but for if you've been taking birth control like I did for many years, that is a heavy number and it can just leave you feeling, honestly, it made me very sad when I heard it because I very well could have lost many children, you know, with that number, that is a big number. And so our heart here, what we want to share with you is not condemnation or, um, putting you down or shame for the past, what we're trying to do is put all of this together so that we can share with people the truth Mm -hmm. and so that we can make decisions moving forward because we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and we can put our full faith in that. That's a promise that we have and we can move forward knowing the truth and making decisions from the truth. And you know, also there can, it brings room for grieving, you know, if you have been there. I took, like I said, for years, I took birth control, so. um, But it also might leave you feeling like, well, what are my options to have 20 kids? (laughs) It doesn't have to be that way either. Um, We have tons of options that are pro-life, extremely effective, uh, some that are honestly just as effective, if not more so. Um, Than the pills, so we have that all on our website. Mm. You can look at this. We can sh- we can show you. We have a whole page that is full of information, and you can just click through on what you're wanting to see. And um, so you can do family planning in a pro life way, in mm. a in a way that lines up with our faith and um, with supporting. You know that life does begin at conception.
1: Yeah. So hopefully, you know, we haven't come across as continuing. I know that the focus of this video has been. A lot of information, and I know I've thrown a lot of information at you, and I know that where that information ultimately got us was a pretty, pretty meaningful statistic, a pretty significant number, um, a pretty significant chance uh, of losing a child to the effects of the pill or or to or contraception in general. And so I know that that was heavy, but I hope that you can sense from us that our our heart is to give you a guide for the future, not not condemnation for the past. Please don't feel any of that weight from us. Um, And if you've got any questions on this, or if you know, this came across as heavy to you and you just like to chat about it we're willing to engage with you on that topic um, I hope that this was helpful to you though as you think about the decisions that you're gonna make in family planning um, please do reach out to us with any questions and thank you for spending so much time with us today um, I hope that this was helpful to you thank you